Chapter Nineteen of the Four Pools Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Four Pools Mystery by Jean Webster. Chapter Nineteen. Terry finds the bonds. I was awakened the next morning by Terry clumping into my room, dressed in riding breeches and boots freshly spattered with mud. They were Radnor's clothes. Terry had taken me at my word and was thoroughly at home. Hello, old man, he said, sitting down on the edge of the bed. Been asleep, haven't you? Sorry to wake you, but we've got a day's work ahead. Hope you don't mind my borrowing Radnor's togs. Didn't come down prepared for riding. Solomon gave them to me. Seemed to think that Radnor wouldn't need them any more. Oh, Solomon and I are great friends, he added with a laugh, as he suddenly appeared to remember the object of his visit and commenced a search through his pockets. I sat up in bed and watched him impatiently. It was evident that he had some news and equally evident that he was going to be as leisurely as possible about imparting it. "'This is a pretty country,' he remarked, as he finished with his coat pockets and commenced on the waistcoat. "'It would be almost worth living in if many little affairs like this occurred to keep things going.' "'Really, Terry,' I said, "'when you refer to my uncle's murder as a little affair, I think you're going too far.' Oh, I beg your pardon, he returned good-naturedly. I guess I am incorrigible. I didn't know Colonel Gaylord personally, you see, and I'm so used to murders that I've come to think it's the only natural way of dying. Anyhow, he added, as he finally produced a yellow envelope, I've got something here that will interest you. It explains why our young friend Radnor didn't want to talk. He tossed the envelope on the bed, and I eagerly tore out the telegram. It was from the police commissioner in Seattle, and it ran. Jefferson Gaylord returned Seattle, May 5th, after absence six weeks, said to have visited Old Home, Virginia, had been wanted by police, suspected implication in case obtaining money false pretenses, mistaken charge, case dismissed. "'What does it mean?' I asked. "'It means,' said Terry, "'that we've spotted ghost number one. "'It was clear from the first "'that Radnor was trying to shield someone, "'even at the expense of his own reputation. "'Leaving women out of the case, "'that pointed pretty straight toward his elder brother. "'Part of your theory was correct, "'the only trouble being that you carried it too far.' You made Jeff commit both the robbery and the murder, while, as a matter of fact, he did neither. Then when you found a part of your theory was untenable, you rejected the whole of it. This is how the matter stood. Jeff Gaylord was pretty desperately in need of money. I suspect that the charge against him, whatever it was, was true. The money he had taken had to be returned, and somebody's silence bought, before the thing could be hushed up. Anyway, Seattle was too hot to hold him, and he lit out and came east. He applied to Radnor, 
but Radnor was in a tight place himself and couldn't lay his hands on anything except what his father had given him for a birthday present. That was tied up in another investment, and if he converted it into cash it would be at a sacrifice. So it ran along for a week or so, while Rad, for casting about for a means of getting his brother out of the way without any fresh scandal, but Moses, suddenly taking to see in hands, precipitated matters. Realising that his father's patience had reached its limit, and that he couldn't keep you off the scent much longer, he determined to borrow the money for Jeff's journey back to Seattle, and to close up his own investment. That same night he drove Jeff to the station at Kennisburg. The Washington Express does not stop at Lambert Junction, and anyway, Kennisburg is a bigger station, and travellers excite less comment. This isn't deduction, it's fact. I rode to Kennisburg this morning and proved it. The station man remembers selling Radnor Gaylord a ticket to Washington in the middle of the night about three weeks ago. Some man who waited outside and whose face the agent did not see boarded the train, and Rad drove off alone. The ticket seller does not know Rad personally, but he knows him by sight. So much for that. Rad came home and went to bed. When he came downstairs in the morning, he was met by the information that the hand had robbed the safe. You can see what instantly jumped into his mind. Some way, somehow, Jeff had taken those bonds, and yet figure on it as he might, he could not see how it was possible. The robbery seemed to have occurred while he was away. Could Jeff merely have pretended to leave? Might he have slipped off the train again and come back? Those are the questions that were bothering Radnor. He was honest in saying that he could not imagine how the bonds had been stolen, and yet he was also honest in not wanting to know the truth. He might have confided in me, I said. It would have been a good deal better if he had. But in order to understand Rad's point of view, you must take into account Jeff's character. He appears to have been a reckless, dashing, headstrong, but exceedingly attractive fellow. His father put up with his excesses for six years before the final quarrel. Cat Eye Mose, so old Jake tells me, moped for months after his disappearance. Rad, as a little fellow, worshipped his bad but charming brother. There you have it. Jeff turns up again with a hard luck story, and Mose and Radnor both go back to their old allegiance. Jeff is in a bad hole, a fugitive from justice, with the penitentiary waiting for him. He confesses the whole thing to Radnor, extenuating circumstances plausible to the fore. He has been honest, but unintentionally so. He wishes to straighten up and lead a respectable life. If he had, say, $1,500, he could quash the indictment against him. He is Radnor's brother and the Colonel's son, but Rad is to receive a fortune while he is to be disinherited. The money, he asks now, is only his right. If he receives it, he will disappear and trouble Rad no more. That, I fancy, 
is the line of argument our returned prodigal used. Anyway, he won Rad over. Radnor was thinking of getting married, had plenty of use for all the money he could lay his hands on, but he seems to be a generous chap, and he sacrificed himself. For obvious reasons, Jeff wished his presence kept a secret, and Rad and Mose respected his wishes. After the robbery, Radnor was too sick at thought that his brother may have betrayed him to want to do anything but hush the matter up. At the news of the murder, he did not know what to think. He would not believe Jeff guilty, and yet he did not see any other way out. Terry paused a moment and leaned forward with an excited gleam in his eye. That, he said, is the whole truth about ghost number one. Our business now is to track down number two, and here, as a starter, are the missing bonds. He tossed a pile of mildewed papers on the bed and met my astonishment with a triumphant chuckle. It was true, all five of the missing bonds were there, the May 1st coupons still uncut, also the deeds and insurance policy, exactly as they had left the safe, except that they were damp and mud-stained. I stared for a moment, too amazed to speak. Finally, where did you find them? I gasped. Terry regarded me with a tantalizing laugh. Exactly where I thought I'd find them. Oh, I've been out early this morning. I saw the sunrise and breakfasted in Kennisburg at 6.45. I'm ready for another breakfast, though. Hurry up and dress. We've got a day's work before us. I'm off to the stables to talk horses with Uncle Jake. When you're ready for breakfast, send Solomon after me. Terry, I implored, where on the face of the earth did you find those bonds? At the mouth of the passage to hell, said Terry gravely, but I'm not quite sure myself who put them there. Mose? I queried eagerly. It might have been, and it might not. He waved his hand airily and withdrew. End of chapter 19